0: Before I begin this morning, I neglected, I intended to pray for Jen Revere this morning and uh, I failed to do so, so I want to pray for Jen and uh, she, uh, her fever has uh, dissipated, for which we are thankful, Uh, but uh, pray that she doesn't have any more setbacks in her recovery and she is anticipating uh, a doctor's visit on September the 11th uh, with the neurologist and Uh, We just pray for God's grace and all that she's experiencing. Let's pray. Our Father, we do pray for Jen this morning, and our heart goes out to her and all that she is experiencing in this uh, incredibly uh, long ordeal that she's been uh, facing as a result of this accident. But uh, Lord, we commit her into your care, and we are thankful for the progress that she is making, and we pray that, uh, Lord, that she'd be uh, free from some of these Uh, ongoing infections and uh, setbacks that she's been encountering. Uh, We pray that she would uh, make more progress in her recovery. Uh, We pray for the doctors to give them wisdom and especially for this visit that's coming up on the 11th. Uh, May the doctors be able to ascertain much more about her condition and what is the best way to be able to assist her in her recovery. We pray for the family and comfort them in all that they are going through. Uh, Encourage them, I pray, and I pray that your spirit would give them grace. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning in our study, we transition from the introduction to the book of Romans to Paul's prayer for the Romans. I say transition for that is exactly what it is. We have a transition in Paul's thinking. That which Paul has written in the introduction informs and governs Paul's prayer for the Romans. That which he has instructed concerning God's purposes, Paul now prays for. As to, our understanding of Scripture should inform and govern our prayers as well. Uh, Doctrine is not meant to be some kind of isolated academic exercise, but it is to be fruitful and produce change in our hearts and minds and should be a part of our prayer life as well. So Paul opens his prayer with thankfulness to God that God's purpose in the gospel is being fully realized. If you look at verses eight and nine, it says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. As I said, this is informed by the introduction where we learned last week that the ultimate purpose of the gospel is to bring honor and glory to God. We saw that in verse five. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. So, The gospel and those that believe and obey it are for the honor and glory of God, for the sake of his name. And so Paul begins by thanking God and through the person, or the Lord Jesus Christ, for the fruits and the benefits of the gospel that has been produced in the lives of the Romans. Paul is thankful for all the Romans who have come to faith, which is a result of God's purpose and the gospel. It says in verse 8, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. We were told in verse 5 that the gospel was to come to all nations. The all nations included the Romans. In verse 6, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And so, since the gospel has come to all nations, and since they are included in those all nations, Paul is thankful for all of them. For this is in keeping with God's purpose for the gospel. And lastly, Paul is thankful to God that the Romans' obedience that comes from faith is proclaimed throughout the whole world, bringing glory to God. The whole world is talking about the faith of the Romans. Notice verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Why? Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. In Romans chapter 1 verse 5, we found out that the grace and apostleship was to bring about the obedience of faith. So Paul is thankful to God because now this obedience of faith is proclaimed throughout the world. And in Romans 16, 19, it says specifically, for your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. The obedience of the Romans was making news throughout the entire world. You know, the Roman church would have encountered a great deal of opposition and culture that was antithetical to their faith. As we think of the Roman church, City, at that particular time in history, in all of its decadence, in all of its immorality, in all of its false worship and false gods, to think that these Romans have come to faith and now have become obedient to God was newsworthy. And it was a great glory to God in his transforming grace and power, and a great encouragement to other believers, that they too could stand for the things of God. The second part of the prayer, the body of the prayer, is an expression of Paul's desire to come to the Romans. The Romans were near and dear to Paul, even though he had not met any of them personally. And so Paul begins by expressing his desire to come to the Romans in verses 9 and 10. Says, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, and then here's the main thought, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. That's the essence of the prayer, that I may succeed at last in now coming to you. But I want to dissect uh, each of these, these phrases. In this, these two verses, we find out that Paul's desire to come to the Romans is a sincere desire. He begins by saying, for God is my witness, in verse 9. Apparently, the Romans question Paul's commitment to them, since he had not yet come to them after many years. They they wondered about his care. They, they were curious about what was keeping him from visiting them. In Romans 15, 23 it says, But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you. So this has been a lengthy process. Many years. Paul has desired to come to the Romans. And so he begins by appealing to God and stating his accountability before God. In essence, if I lie, may God hold me accountable. God is my witness in all that I'm about to tell you. I'm telling you the truth. Paul's desire to come to the Romans is a continual desire that is expressed in his prayers. For he states in verse 9, That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Without ceasing does not mean that Paul is praying 24-7. It's not saying that, that Paul is spending every waking moment in prayer. Nor is it saying that Paul is engaged in a prayerful attitude all day long. There is no such thing as a prayerful attitude. Uh, Prayer is not an attitude. Prayer is an activity. Uh, Prayer is an action. Prayer is our communication with God. It doesn't have to be verbal, but it is some form of communication. We are are thinking about God. That's like saying, uh, I'm in an attitude of conversation with my wife. Uh, That's not going to work out too well. Uh, We need to convey our thoughts and and, our desires to our, our spouse. What Paul is saying is that he is not removing the Romans from his prayer list. He repeatedly and regularly prays with regard to the Romans. He hasn't given up praying for them. Paul has not given up in praying about coming to visit them. So Paul's desire to come to the Romans is expressed in his prayers. He says, always in my prayers. This is not just an inward hidden desire on Paul's part. It is a desire that he has taken to God in prayer. I would submit to you that it's good for us to let people know that we are praying in regards to them. You see, Paul is is conveying here words to the Romans to encourage them. He's delineating his, his prayer, instructing them in exactly what he is saying, what he is doing. So it's helpful to let people know that we are praying. It's even more helpful to let people know what it is that we are praying about them, what it is that we are taking to the Lord. Why is that helpful? Well, when we tell others of our prayers, It is informative and instructive in how to pray. Even as we are looking at this prayer this morning, it's instructive for others when we tell them that we are praying for them and what it is that we are praying about. Also, when we tell others of our prayers, it's an encouragement for them to pray also. When we tell others of our prayers, it models a proper outlet for our desires. See, here are these Romans, and it appears that they are a bit upset at Paul for having not come to them. And Paul says, I just want you to know that I am continually praying that I would come to you. And without a direct assertion, the implication is you ought to be praying too. Rather than griping and complaining, rather than being upset with me, if you want me to come, then you ought to be making this a matter of prayer. You ought to be asking God that I would be able to come to you. Paul's desire to come to the Romans is a submissive desire. For it says in verse 10, always in my prayers asking that somehow, and now this phrase, by God's will, I may now at last succeed and come to you. Paul is not about to take things into his own hands. Paul has wanted to come to the Romans for many years, it says, and yet Paul has not come because it hasn't been God's will. And Paul is saying, I am praying, but I am praying that God's will be done. I'm not being headstrong in this, I, I'm not being demanding in this, uh, I'm not telling God what to do, but I am praying. In accordance with God's will, that I would be able to come to you. Next, Paul's desire to come to the Romans is an unfilled desire. An unfilled desire. Verse 10, last phrase I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Look at verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, but that I have often intended to come to you, but thus have been prevented. Paul had often intended, he had made plans. He might have bought uh, boat tickets, he had made strides. Uh, he probably communicated to them that he was coming, and then it turned out that it wasn't God's will. And his plans came to naught. Uh, He was not able to come. Which again is very informative to us. For here we see that we do not always get what we ask for when we pray. We don't always get what we ask for when we pray. Even when it is a prayer, even when it is a desire that we have prayed about. Even when it's a desire that we've prayed about repeatedly. And even when the desire is a wholesome or good desire. Here is where we always have to balance scripture. We always have to look at scripture in its totality. For James tells us, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, ye cannot obtain, ye fight in war, And then it says, yet ye have not because ye ask not. The reason you don't get what you want is you fail to pray. Not in this instance. Not in this situation. Paul has prayed. Paul has prayed regularly. Paul has prayed continually. This has been a request that came from Paul's lips for years. And he still did not get what he desired. James tells us, in verse 3, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So maybe you pray, but the reason that you don't get what you ask for is because what you ask for is sinful. And you just want to consume it on your own desires and your own lusts. Not in this situation. There is nothing improper. There is nothing immoral. There is nothing indecent. There is nothing worthy of rebuke in Paul's desire to come to the Romans. There is nothing wrong, if you will, with that prayer in light of what we know in Scripture to be What is a good or wholesome desire? But still, it's not God's will that it be granted. And so, it is not granted. Which then teaches us another important lesson, and that is how we're to respond when our prayers are not granted. Paul is not frustrated or angry that his prayers are not uh, not answered. Uh, Paul begins by thanking God, not by raising a fist and saying, God, I've been praying about this for years, and nothing has happened. Where are you? Why aren't you faithful? Paul is not faithless as a result of his prayers not being granted. This has not shaken Paul in his confidence in God or in prayer. He has maintained his prayer life. He has maintained his expectation. He has maintained his diligence. And so Paul is not discouraged as a result of prayers not being answered. You know, you may have been asking for things that are very wholesome and good, and you may have been praying about them for years. Maybe the salvation of a loved one. Maybe a situation in in life that's been difficult or hard and, and you have taken it to the Lord repeatedly for years. It happens. And I would encourage you, don't be discouraged by it. Don't be frustrated by it. And by all means, don't be angered by it. But say to yourself, what is God's will in this? What is God's purpose in this? What is God doing in this? And so Paul understands, and we looked at uh, last week, why his prayer is being hindered. As it will. So, as we look at this prayer, we will note that Paul has good reasons for his desire to come to the Romans. I want to show you that this is an appropriate prayer. This is not just his sinful lusts, but there are good reasons for which Paul is praying this prayer, and he provides us with four. The first Paul wants to come to the Romans so that he might be a spiritual help to them. Verse 11. For I long to see you, why? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Now, how in the world could that be selfish? How in the world could that be wrong? It certainly is not selfish, it is not wrong, it is not immoral. It is a good, wholesome desire. I want to impart to you some spiritual gift. And here, spiritual is the antithesis of material. So when he's talking about a spiritual gift, uh, he's not talking about gifts of the spirit, but he's talking about that which is immaterial as opposed to that which is material, and I will demonstrate that in just a few moments. But he's saying, I want to be a spiritual help to you. Secondly, Paul wants to come to the Romans so they might be a spiritual help to him, verse 12. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Uh, so Paul is not being proud here or arrogant. Uh, Paul is recognizing that there is going to, would be value in coming to see them on both parts. He can instruct and, and teach them, and they, in turn, can be a help and, and a blessing and a uh, and encouragement to Paul. So they can be a mutual help to each other. The third reason that Paul wants to come to the Romans is so that they might participate in giving to the poor saints at Jerusalem. Notice in verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far i have been pre- prevented. That prevention is that Paul has to preach the gospel where it hasn't been heard. And uh, he's been doing that. But then he goes on to say, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So what is Paul talking about when he says that uh, I want to reap some harvest among you? Turn with me to Romans chapter fifteen. Romans fifteen. Book of Romans is very intricately tied together, and there are many themes that that run throughout the entire book, as as Paul relates what he is doing and uh, how it. Uh, is in keeping with the doctrine that he teaches. Now, in Romans chapter 15, I'll start with verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. That is, because the gospel had to be preached in all these other regions. Verse 23, but now... Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, where it says, I have been helped on my journey by you. Verse 25. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. See, here are the Gentiles. And the Gentiles have been contributing to and helping to support the poor saints that were at Jerusalem. Paul says, I hope to come to you. I hope to reap a harvest. I hope to to receive some money uh, so that, like the other Gentiles, you can participate in this ministry Of giving to the poor saints of Jerusalem. Verse 27. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought also to be of service. To them in material blessings. So Paul said. I'm going to come to you to share a spiritual gift. I hope you're going to share a material gift. That's the harvest that he is hoping to reap, that they would participate in this work of aiding the poor saints in Jerusalem. And then lastly, Paul wants to come to the Romans so that he would preach the gospel to those at Rome also. Notice verse 15. Romans one fifteen. Uh, let me uh, read a little bit more of the uh, background of that. Romans <clears throat> Romans 1, starting at verse 13. "I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, but I have often intended to come to you, but have thus far been prevented and or that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul wants to come and preach the gospel to the Romans. And I'd like you to think for a moment, why would Paul preach the gospel to those who already believe the gospel, he is thanking God for their faith. He says that your faith is being proclaimed throughout the world. He is grateful that they have believed and they have obeyed. They are serving the Lord, and he says, I am eager to come to preach the gospel to you also. Why? Why? Why are people who are born again and walking in faith need to hear the gospel? Why would you and I need to hear the gospel? What relevance does the gospel have to us? We believed. We've trusted Christ is our Savior. Why do we need to hear about the gospel? Well, let's go to Romans 16. In Romans 16, we have the doxology, we have the conclusion of the letter. In the first seven verses, we have the introduction. To the letter. And in the conclusion, as one might expect, the things that are found in the introduction are brought together in kind of a recapitulation. Let's look at Romans 16, the doxology, starting in verse 25. Now, him who is able to, here's the word, strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, that God is able to strengthen you in keeping with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So why preach the gospel to those who know the gospel? The answer is to strengthen them. To strengthen them. Now this word to strengthen is translated in numerous ways in the New Testament. And when you hear the variety of ways in which it's translated, it begins to create a picture in your mind. So it's translated as strengthen, encourage, build up, establish, ground. Ground. The big picture is it is able to to ground the believer. It is able to build that believer up from the ground to be a mighty edifice. It's to strengthen them, it's to encourage them, it's to help them. The better we know the gospel, the more grounded, the more settled, the more strengthened, the more encouraged, The more comforted, the more committed we will be. The gospel has many applications to it. The point of this passage is that we might benefit from a good understanding of the gospel. For if we really understand the gospel, the first thing it produces in us after we have come to faith, which is Romans 3 and 4, the the importance of having trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, well, once we have come to understand the need to be forgiven, then we realize that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are are in Christ Jesus. It means that when I really understand the gospel, that now I will never be condemned before God. I will never be condemned before God. Just this week, Sharon entered into the presence of God. Sharon reflected on her life, and there were things that troubled Sharon. I don't think I'm talking out of school. The gospel teaches us there's no condemnation. If you wrestle with guilt, if you wrestle with a a sense of really being accepted by God, I'm a Christian. But does he really love me? Does he really care for me? Does does he fully accept me? You are accepted totally on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ, on his death, burial, and resurrection. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The better you know the gospel, the better you will be Convinced of your forgiveness. The better you know the gospel, the more encouraged you will be about life and the circumstances that you're encountering. That great verse, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, Over whom he predestined, those he also called, and whom he called, those he also justified. What should we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? So God that justifieth? So Christ that died, who rose again, who even now is living, seated at the right hand of God? The more we know the gospel, the more we understand God's role in saving us, the more sure we are of all of life's circumstances that God is watching over us. God hasn't forsaken us. God has not left us on our own, for he has brought us into a relationship for all eternity. and made the greatest sacrifice that could be made in sending his son to die for us. Unless we think that now we're undeserving, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we deserved it, not because we merited, it, because he loved us. And whatever circumstances you are in life, God still loves you. Whatever experience you are going through, God loves you. And whatever experience you are encountering, God has not forsaken you. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor principality nor power nor things present nor things to come neither height nor depth, nor any other creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The better you know the gospel, the better you understand the saving grace of God, the better you understand his call, his sovereignty, his choice of you, the more we'll be comforted before God. The greater we understand the gospel, the more committed we will be. Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The better we understand the mercies and grace of God, the more we want to serve him. The more we want to delight in Him, the more our attitude is changed, and we we don't see the law as being this, this rigorous taskmaster. But all of a sudden, we serve God because we want to. We serve God because we love Him. We serve God because we realize that He cares for us, and in serving Him, there is nothing to be afraid of. He's not a tyrant. And I can yield myself to him without fear. And anything that he would ask of me for would be worthy. And it would bring him glory. We can't understand the gospel enough. The whole doctrine of election is meant to comfort us. To see that God keeps his promise. God keeps his word. And God has a purpose for us before the foundations of the earth. And that purpose is coming to pass. Paul says, I want to come to you. And I want to declare the gospel to you. To strengthen you. My prayer is, as we work our way through the book of Romans, that we will have an ever-increasing better understanding of the gospel. I hope you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I hope that you have come to that place where you have recognized that without Christ, we're hopeless. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I, I hope you have made that commitment to Jesus Christ and you experienced the forgiveness of sins and yielded your life to him. That's not the end, that's the beginning. That's just the beginning. The end is... And eternal glory. The end is being with him forever and ever. The end is a new creation. All of that. Romans chapter 8. It all relates to the gospel. Paul said I have desired many many years to come to you. I have been prevented thus far. Why? Because I have the gospel to preach to people that never heard. Paul says now I Fully preached the gospel everywhere around. He said, I'm gonna go on to Spain and then I'm gonna come to see you. Well, that didn't happen either. That's what Paul was hoping for, but that didn't materialize. Paul gets to Rome. But he comes as a prisoner. He comes to Rome to be judged and condemned. He comes to Rome to die. Sometimes things don't work out the way we anticipate. But just because they don't work out the way that we anticipate doesn't mean that God has failed. God's ways are higher than our ways, God's thoughts are greater than our thoughts, God's purpose is better than our purpose. Take your desires to the Lord in prayer. Take good, wholesome desires to the Lord in prayer. Those good, wholesome desires, don't give up on. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Pray for the salvation of loved ones. Paul said, My prayer and desire for Israel is that they be saved. Paul teaches us to pray for the lost, pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your neighbors. Just have been praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Don't get frustrated. Don't get angry. Don't get discouraged. Pray that God's will would be done. That will is a holy will. That will is a righteous will. That will is the appropriate will, that ye may approve what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. May we be strengthened by the gospel. Let us pray. Almighty God, I pray that you'd be pleased to strengthen us in this study through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I I pray that we would understand the gospel in such a greater dimension than we ever have in the past. Or help us to see how these great doctrines all flow out of our understanding of the gospel. That are gonna govern the way we present the gospel. That are going to govern the way in which we hope about the gospel. The way in which we have confidence in sharing the gospel. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lord, give us confidence that the gospel itself is what saves. It's the word that brings faith. And Lord, we live in a day and age when people are looking for a way in which they can reach other people. They're looking for methodologies. They're, they're, They're looking for sales tactics. They're looking for techniques in how we can convince people to put their faith and trust in Christ. Lord, help us to understand the gospel is what saves. It is the word of God that's self-authenticating. Oh, God, it's not, the, it's not our persuasiveness. It's your power. It's your purpose. It's your will. You bring people to faith. Even as the Apostle Paul prayed and thanked God for the Romans and their faith. This morning, Lord, I thank you for each and every person here that knows the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Lord, I I thank you for saving my children. Oh, Lord, we cannot just take such blessings for granted. It's not just the environment that they grow up in. It's just not the familiarity with the truth. But, oh God, it's a work of grace from beginning to end when anyone names the name of Christ in a saving way. So, Lord, may you always be praised. May you always be thanked. May you always be glorified for the salvation that we and others enjoy. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.